Good morning, Horizon family. You're the, you're the early risers. You've got to have all that good spirit in the morning. Uh, my name is Beth Guckenberger. If you have been around for a while, it's good for, uh, for me to be back here. I enjoy this fellowship, this community, and nobody makes a church look pretty like Horizon does. So Merry Christmas. If you are new here, uh, I come regularly and share my heart and my Bible and my stories uh, in this community and have for almost 20 years. So it's good to see you. Before we get uh, started in today's message, I just want to say a couple of announcements and thank yous. One of them is for those of you who've participated in the Giving Tree, the ministry that I give leadership to, back-to-back -back ministries, is one of the recipients of the Giving Tree. And I just want to thank you on behalf of this city's most vulnerable population. I appreciate your generosity in this season, and it's never too late. The second announcement I want to make is this is a little save the date for the women in the room. On February 3rd, of uh, 2024, we're going to be having about a half-day workshop here. I'll be sharing and talking about relationships, and so I just wanted to put that on your mind and in your calendar. And then lastly, this church regularly takes mission trips, and um, they, one of the places that they go is uh, Cancun, which is one of our back-to-back -back ministry sites, and this President's Day weekend, there's a family trip, and there's four spots left. So if you want to wrap up something real special under the tree and you haven't done your shopping yet, spring on your family that you're all going to Cancun for a President's Day weekend on a mission trip. I just wanted to plant that seed in case that is there for someone. But uh, this, as we think about Christmas and we think about, I mean, it is the most wonderful time of the year, but it's also a season absolutely full of expectations. And in my household, we call expectations premeditated resentments. I don't know about you. Some of you, we, we all come into the season differently. For some of you, you're so glad it's gotten cold and you can't wait for the first snow. <clears throat> for some of you, this time of year with the early dark um, sunsets, it makes you feel more anxious. It brings on depression, seasonal depression. For some of you, you've done all your shopping. You did it even like, you know, July. Not, forget Black Friday. You've done, you've done it. You're all ready. And for some of you, it still feels like there's a whole bunch left to do. Some of you will be hosting people over the holidays, and that's a lot of fun, and you're already kind of imagining and planning what that will all look like. And for some of you, you've, you've maybe lost somebody since last year, and you're anticipating what that will feel like when people get together. We, we kind of all come into this season with our own little bundle. I mean, Christmas, frankly, is a magnifier. If things are good, they feel kind of magical, and if things are hard, they feel really hard. And so however it is that you're entering into this season, we're going to start our morning this morning with learning two words. <clears throat> if you remember, I love to teach the Hebrew language. I don't um, study it academically. I just study it for my own understanding. And I don't think there's a single vocabulary test to get into heaven. If you forget the words, even on the drive home, how to say them, how to spell them, it doesn't even matter. I think of Hebrew words like doorknobs, and they take us into new rooms of understanding, and all that really matters is how we live now in the new room of understanding. And the first word uh, you've already talked about before in this series in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about how this, this baby that we're celebrating in this season that we're entering was called the Prince of Peace, right? And that it's, he's going to offer us a, priest, a peace that will never end, and the government will be on his shoulders, and you'll see... I've seen like people have the word peace lit up in their front windows, and we, we've sung about peace already this morning, and this idea of peace. <clears throat> peace in Hebrew is, of course, the word shalom, and shalom has a pretty sophisticated theological definition we're not going into today, 
But the part of that definition that I like the best is shalom literally promises to fill in the cracks. It's an idea of wholeness, of completeness. So for any of you who are walking in here this morning or entering into this season this morning, feeling some of the cracks in the relationships that you have, in the, in the, in the, in the whatever you got going on this month, if you can feel the cracks, the Prince of Peace wants to come in and fill in our cracks. But the second word that I want us to talk about and the second idea, Neil just read to us a little bit in that worship set. It comes out of Isaiah chapter 58. This happened to me in 2018. I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you, but I woke up in 2018 and I felt like God gave me a word for the year, like a word that I was supposed to think of that year. I had never had that happen before. And the word felt extra special to me because it was this Hebrew word I'm going to teach you right now. The word is heneni, H-I-N-E-N-I. We translate it in our Bibles a little over a half dozen times in the Old Testament into the phrase, here I am. Heneni means here I am. So we'll see it in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham's on his way up a mountain. He thinks he's about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God calls his name Abraham. And Abraham just responds with that one word, Heneni, here I am. But when I was learning about that word, it's actually, we do our best when we translate words into English from Hebrew, but it's probably better understood instead of just here I am, they would teach it more in the Holy Land as whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. When Abraham said, here I am, he was saying, Lord, whatever you have for me next, the answer is yes, regardless of the cost. And of course we know that the Lord spared him the cost of sacrificing his son. We see it also in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is in front of the burning bush. God calls his name Moses. He responds, Heneni, here I am. Whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. We know he was about to be asked a whole bunch of things, like getting God's kids out of slavery, facing up to Pharaoh, and walking him through a parted sea into the promised land. And I was halfway through that 2018 year, I was back in Israel and I was asking the guide that I was with, hey, I've been telling all kinds of people this year about Hanani. I'm just checking with you, like, am I saying it right? Am I teaching it right? And I told him everything I just told you. And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all right. You know there's one place in your Bible where the Lord says, Hanani to you. I said, there's some place in my Bible where the Lord says, whatever it is I'm asking of him, he's already in agreement of it. Can we, can we find that, please? And he opened up his Bible to Isaiah chapter 58, which is where we'll start our time together today. It says this, is this not the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the heavy burden and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke or chain? God's basically saying to his family, hey, I don't want to show. I don't want you to I'm not looking for you to jump through certain hoops. I'm not looking for you to make a mark. I'm not asking you to perform for me. This is what I'm asking of you. The kind of fast I'm choosing is I want you to be about my business. We're going to get people who are wicked and put them on the right path. We're going to break chains that are weighing people down. We're going to alleviate burdens people are carrying around. This is the kind of work I came to do. Is it not that you're going to share your bread, verse 7, with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who have been cast out? And it literally means the people that are out there wandering. And that when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide from yourself your own flesh. 
Like, be about my business. Let's feed hungry people. Let's break people out of burdens that they shouldn't be carrying. Let's feed, let's feed and clothe and welcome. Let's, let's do my work. This is how you're going to look like me to a world that doesn't know me. This is the kind of fasting I've chosen. Verse 8, then your light will break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He's going to go ahead of you and behind you. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry out and he will say, like, Hanemi, here I am. Whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. Because he knows what he's asking of us is more than we can do. We, we don't have it. We're not smart enough, strong enough, wise enough. We don't have enough provision, protection. We don't have it to be breaking chains and inviting people in and clothing those that are naked. We are, we're selfish. We're limited. We're finite. We're sinful. I don't, I don't, Lord, it's too tall of a bar. I can't do it. If that's the kind of fasting you've chosen, I don't know if I can do it. He's like, just, you get in it. Get in it and I'll go before you. Get in it and I'll go behind you. Get in it and cry out to help for me. And my response every time will be, here I am. What do you need? Do you need some wisdom? I'll give it to you. Do you need me to come fill in your cracks? I got peace for days. Do you need patience? Do you need self-control? Do you need some provision? Do you need my protection? Do you need mercy? Do you need discernment? What is it that you need? Hanani, here I am. I think about this verse a lot in a month like this where it feels like the demands on us are more than we can imagine. We have extended family we'll be interacting with, things that we, people we want to see healed, circumstances we want to see unfold, breakthroughs we want to experience, fears we don't want to have anymore. This, this sermon was titled something about help for the needy. I just want you to know we're the needy. Like this is not help for those other people out there, you know them. This is me. I'm needy. I'm hungry for him and I need him. And this is the promise that he has for us today. He will fill in our cracks and he will respond to our cry. And I thought because uh, we're in the Christmas season that not only has he been promising that in our Old Testament and he's promising us that here in December of 2023, I thought I'd pick a biblical character from the Bible story, from the Christmas story, who cried out for help and who needed her cracks filled in. And we would talk about how God both shalomed and hinnied her and all the moments when she most needed it. And because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, because he did it for her, we can promise and believe he'll do it for us. Um, the story is going to be about Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And let me just remind you a little bit about her. Her story we start to find in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth was married to a guy named Zachariah who was a priest. And those priests in those days had duty one month of the year. Zachariah's division, we can read, his division's duty was in the month of June. And it says that shortly, like at the, you know, in the, the month that he was performing his priestly duty, an angel came to him and said to him these things. I, I know that you and your wife are above the age of childbearing. So most theologians think that she was somewhere between 60 and 75. So I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you're in the room today and you're between the ages of 60 and 75. But I won't do that. That's fine. You know what we look like, you know. So I just want you to imagine Elizabeth and Zachariah were not spring chickens. And an angel came to them and said, even though you have had a lifetime of infertility, I'm going to give you a baby. And Zachariah didn't believe him at first. And the angel struck a mute because of it. And it says in our Bibles that shortly after that priestly duty, so if his duty was in June, shortly after is probably July, that they get pregnant with that baby. 
And it says that after Elizabeth conceived, she went into seclusion for five months. We don't really know why the Bible doesn't tell us. We can imagine maybe she was like having a difficult time with that pregnancy. Can you imagine your 60-year-old body trying to carry a baby? Maybe it just felt better to stay in bed. Maybe um, she was afraid of a miscarriage and she was trying to protect a baby she had literally wanted her whole life. Maybe she'd already heard about Herod and we knew he was killing babies and maybe she was afraid of him. Maybe she didn't want to answer everybody's questions like, how come your husband can't talk anymore? We don't really know why it was, but we know she's going to get visited by Mary, her cousin, who also just found out she is also miraculously pregnant. Miraculously, in Mary's case, of course, because she immaculately conceived. And as soon as Mary finds out she's about to have a baby, we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. So first of all, the overwhelming opinion is that Mary was somewhere between 12 and 14. So this like, I mean, again, get, get a picture in your mind of what a 12 to 14 year old girl left is. She was young, she was pregnant, and she traveled to another town. Like, where are her parents? Where's Joseph? And in these days, Israelites were practically enslaved. Their towns were getting burned down to the ground. It was not exactly an easy route for her to, do, to take. Donkeys would have been like Mercedes. So she literally found out from an angel she's going to have a baby, immaculately conceived. She takes off on foot and with haste or running, she runs to her cousin's house in another town who's between the ages of 60 and 75. I just want us to have that picture in our mind because sometimes when we read that Mary and Elizabeth are cousins, we make them like peers. They're not peers. It says in verse 40, she entered the house of Zechariah and she greets Elizabeth. And I, I mean, Elizabeth hasn't talked to anybody in five months. Her husband's not talking. She hasn't left her house. She opens the door to find her cousin there. I can't even imagine her first words. Like, you won't even believe it. Look, 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 I'm pregnant. Your whole life I've never been able to have a baby. I'm having a baby. And an angel came and he talked to Zachariah. And now he can't talk anymore. And I'm thinking, Mary's like, you have visited by an angel? I do too. And I'm pregnant too. With some, like the savior of the world. Like what did that initial conversation look like? Even having been disappointed by infertility, Elizabeth is counted in our Bibles as someone who had been faithful. She descended from the priestly line of Aaron. That would have been, she would have been growing up with all the customs and rituals and songs and practices of a godly household. She married Zechariah also from the priestly line of Aaron. These two would have had all kinds of choices in their marriage, disappointed by the circumstances of their life to either embrace God's plan for them and continue to be as holy as they know how to be or participate in some of the corruption that was very run, like very much so run and rampant in these days, right? Even 400 years before this in the book of Malachi, the last book of our Old Testament, we read about how the priests were, were offering and selling blemished lambs. That practice got much worse in those several hundred years. And by this point, I mean, Jesus will later turn the tables over. He's so upset about it. The priests had this racket where they were growing the, they were like raising the lambs and then deciding which of those lambs were good enough, the ones that they, only their lambs were good enough. And then they put their own price tag on their own lambs and then they sold their lambs to the people that had to come three times a year and pick one out and sacrifice it because God had set up a system that would prepare them for the lamb of God. And it was uh, totally, totally corrupt. 
She could have been seduced by that kind of opportunity for riches and power, and instead she stayed faithful. And it says that when she opens the door and they have this conversation, it happened, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth got filled with the Holy Spirit, which let's just revisit the order of events here. This is Luke chapter 1. Not everybody gets to have that Holy Spirit running through them until Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost hasn't happened. So Elizabeth got filled with the Holy Spirit before this was the common practice of God's kids. Up until this point, we've seen the Holy Spirit come on to like Elijah and David and Gideon and a couple of prophets. And here it is now, this Holy Spirit filling Elizabeth. <clears throat> she spoke out with a loud voice and she said these things. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Jesus is already beginning to fill in her cracks, to bring her a sense of peace. I think it would have been kind of scary to be in her shoes. Never have her having had a baby husband that can't talk, a baby growing in a body that she didn't even think could handle it. Uh, she can't even talk to anybody, doesn't have anybody around her. She has no support system. She had some cracks going on. The Lord is responding to her. He's saying to her things like shalom and heneni, what do you need? Here I am. I think about how she must have been talked about a lot in her community. People would have been like, well, you know, she's not having a baby because of this sin of hers. Or maybe they would have thought it was Zachariah's sin, but he was the priest, so probably they thought it was her sin. She would have been talked about her whole life, misunderstood, gossiped about. That's an experience that Mary's going to now have. It makes all the sense in the world to me that that little girl ran to this cousin. And I just want to say as like a little side note or P.S., after Elizabeth confirms Mary's pregnancy with those words we just read out of the Bible, Mary breaks out into song, something the Bible calls Mary's song. And that psalm would have, or that song that Mary sang had biblical references from the Old Testament out of Psalms, Job's, Isaiah, Micah, <clears throat> Genesis, 1 Samuel. Her song was filled with allusions or, or, or notes to, tipping the hat to, verses in those Old Testament books. We got to ask ourselves, how does this 13-year-old girl know her Bible so well? She's never been to school. School was just for the boys. It started at age six. She shouldn't have known those verses. The only way she would have known those verses is if her dad taught her. That's the only way that girls learned their scriptures were from their dads. So I'm reading this and studying it. I'm thinking to myself, Mary has a dad. I don't think I've ever thought about him before. Like Jesus had a grandpa. And I just want you to imagine that I am a grandma. I don't know how many of you are grandparents here, but sometimes I look, we were with our grandchildren last night. And at one point I looked over at my husband and we were looking at our four-year-old granddaughter. I'm like, oh my gosh, she is so perfect. Like everything she does, I think is amazing. I, I mean, I just want you to imagine Mary's father saying to Mary's mother, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Jesus do anything wrong, ever. I mean, I think he's like literally, he's like perfect. <clears throat> Elizabeth carries, cares for Mary and nurtures her for three months. We read in verse 56, she stayed in that house for three months. Mary, who will be now misunderstood and gossiped about, spends time with this wise old cousin who'd been at that story for a while now. And it tells me that Elizabeth had made herself a safe person to Mary in moments before she even knew it would count. 
at some, at some point when Mary was six or eight or 10 or, or maybe 12, Elizabeth demonstrated nurture and care and concern and all the important qualities so that when Mary found out what is arguably the most amazing moment of her entire life, she runs by foot to this woman's house. It's why we need to listen to our little people and give them our full attention when they are six and eight and 10 and 12. When their big problems feel like little problems because they're just little people. Because one day those big people become big people with big problems. And we need to have demonstrated to them we are safe people. We listen and we care and we have wise counsel and we'll be there for you. This is what she did. Mary eventually leaves Elizabeth's house. It doesn't say in the Bible whether it was before the birth of John the Baptist or after. But, but, but Elizabeth was in her end of her second trimester when Mary came and Mary left three months later. So sometime around the birth of John the Baptist, Mary leaves and Elizabeth gives birth to this son. And it would have been the Jewish custom that on the eighth day that, that little baby would have been circumcised and given a name. And still, Zechariah can't talk yet. So Elizabeth would have been in a room full of the, of the priests, the ritual men who had been chosen to do this job. And they would have circumcised John the Baptist in the way that they had been taught to do and then they would have looked at Elizabeth and said what they already knew the answer to what will you name this baby well the answer is Zachariah if you haven't had a baby your whole entire life and you finally have a son you're naming him after the dad that's what you do there is no other answer other than Zachariah and this woman looks at all those men and goes um his name will be John there's a another word in Hebrew that I like we mess it up sometimes in English but that word is chutzpah it means utter audacity, gall, and nerve. It's a faith word. Elizabeth was going to do what that angel said they were supposed to do because her husband didn't believe it, and now he can't talk anymore. So she's going to do exactly what God told her to do. She told those people, his name is John. Well, they look over at Zechariah like, you're going to let this lady name your kid John? Like, you got to stop her. I'm sure it's going to be Zechariah. And when Zechariah confirms the name of John, he's now finally allowed to speak. And I just, I want to say that the three months that Mary and Elizabeth spent time together, I know was to encourage and strengthen that teenage girl with this unbelievable story that she had been thrust into. I'm sure that her time with that older mentor confidant was powerful for her. I mean, of all the places the unborn savior could have taken his mom in the immediate aftermath of finding out the story he put her in. He, he took her to Elizabeth. I mean, that says quite a bit about Elizabeth. But I also think Elizabeth was strengthened by spending three months in the presence of her unborn Savior. She had hoots, but you're not telling me what. I know, I know who I have. I know who gave him to me, and his name will be John. And uh, let's just do a little bit of math here for a second. So his priestly duty was in June. He got married. They got a uh, baby impregnated in July. Mary and Elizabeth met in December when Mary had just been freshly conceived. So the light of the world was conceived right now during Hanukkah, during the Festival of Lights. Don't let that mess up your December 25th. You can go Google later how we got that date. But the, festival, the, the light of the world was conceived in this time we are right now. And then assuming Mary had a pregnancy and Elizabeth had a pregnancy that were normal, John the Baptist would have had about a March birthday. And Jesus would have been born at the end of the summer during the harvest season, during what they call Sukkot or the Feast of the Tabernacles. In fact, John will say, Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. It was the one time of year when shepherds were allowed out in the fields. 
Normally, you don't want shepherds out in the fields with their animals. They'll eat the crops. That doesn't make any sense. But after harvest season, we literally invite shepherds into the fields, and they can eat whatever didn't get harvested. Those animals can. And then they leave a little deposit fertilizing the ground for the growing season that is to come. And it was out in those fields that the angels heard, uh, that the shepherds heard the angels announcing the birth of Jesus. And I want you to imagine here comes Mary, nine months pregnant, into Bethlehem, no room at the inn. And I just want to say that we think sometimes when we read there's no room at the inn, like they didn't, you know, they didn't plan ahead far enough. Or maybe there was like a, a, an overcrowding issue. That's not the word for inn in Greek that is used in the book of Luke. It's not an inn like a hotel that didn't have any vacancies. That word, we know Luke knows that word for hotel because he'll use it later in the Good Samaritan story. This kind of inn it was like a room. It, this is a sign of rejection. Nobody wanted Mary and Joseph, this, this baby conceived out of wedlock couple. We, they didn't want them in their house. The only place they could stay is so they could stay where the animals are. Where are the animals going to be? If you have a nativity set up right now in your house that looks real pretty with like pine, like wood and fresh hay and like a plaid blanket over Jesus, throw that thing in the trash today. That's not where Jesus was born. The shepherds then do what shepherds do still today. It's smart. It makes sense. They keep their animals in caves where nature has already provided three of the walls and they don't have to build them. And then they light fires in the mouths of the caves so that the animals at night will stay inside and the shepherds stay warm. Those shepherds curl up around that fire and they keep themselves warm while their animals are inside. And I just want you to imagine for a minute what, what do we think the inside of that cave looks like? Nobody's mucking out the cave, by the way. So night after night, season after season, the dung of those animals are sitting on the floor of that cave. And if you've ever cleaned out your grill or the ashes in your fireplace and got that soot on your hands, you know how hard that black stuff is to get off. The walls would have been thick with the soot of a thousand shepherd's fires. And now here comes Mary, rejected. No place for her to stay. She got to stay where the animals stay. And I think Jesus walked right by Herod's palace where their king thought that's where kings were. And he went into literally the nastiest corner of the world you could find. I can't think of anything more disgusting and dark than a cave filled with animal dung and, and fire soot. He went into the nastiest, darkest place he could find because he was sending a message to them and all of us 2,000 years later. There is no story too dark and too hard I won't go into. I'll come fill in your cracks no matter how hard the story is. I'll respond to your cry no matter how dark and nasty you have found yourself. I'm, I'm, there's no place I won't go. In 2017, I got a phone call from a cousin of mine. She's my age. She was suffering from breast cancer, and she had gone on to do some genetic testing and found out in that testing that she had the genetic mutation of BRCA. And she called me because my father had died 30 years ago of cancer, and there's plenty of cancer in my family. And she said, I know we don't really know, but I would assume, based on what I've been finding out, that your dad probably had the BRCA gene. And so I would just recommend you go ahead and get tested and just know what you're facing. And so I told my doctor the next time I was with her, like, hey, my cousin has this. Like, so she's like, let's just do a blood test to see. That was in October of 2017. I forgot about it. It was Christmas. We call it my house Eve Eve, the 23rd. And I, if I haven't met you yet, I have like 100 children. So Christmas Eve Eve at my house, 
11, but Christmas Eve Eve at my house, I am making a list and checking it twice, right? I'm like, I am trying to figure out the food and the gifts and the, and the carols and the Christmas movie and the Christmas pajamas and the in-laws coming. And like, I, I have a list a mile long. And that night, Christmas Eve Eve, I was going to be speaking here in Cincinnati at a local church. And I got a call that morning from my doctor's office, and they said, hey, would you, do you have time today to run by for about 15 minutes? We just want to read you some test results in person. And I said, I, I actually don't have time today. Sorry, that's not happening. And they said, well, we're closed most of the week next week, and uh, we, we really have an obligation to get you the results as soon as we have them. So even just 15 minutes, if you would run by, we'll make time for you whenever you can come. And so I said, okay, fine, I'll come to the office. And I told my husband, I, I drove a car the size of small houses most of our parenting years, like suburbans, because I had all those children. The minute the youngest one got his driver's license, my husband got me this tiny little car. It's called a spider. It's like, it's not even, it's, it has no trunk, no back seat. It's a stick shift. There's room for nobody pretty much but me in there. And I, I, I said to him, I'm going to take the little car. I've got some errands to run. I'm going to go straight to church. You can bring everybody else with you. I'll see you when you get there. And I, I told the doctor's office I would come by in the afternoon on my way to church. I get in the car to head over there, and I got a phone call from someone, the fun kind of phone call to get. Sometimes my husband and I function like secret Santas for people who would like to be generous to a family who is in need, but they want to remain anonymous, so they use us as like a middleman. So this guy calls me, and he was at Sam's Club, and he, he was telling me about a family that we both know, a single mom who was struggling and needed some Christmas presents. And he's like, I was just hoping if I gave you something, you could give it to her at church tonight, and she wouldn't know it's for me. And I'm like, you know, of course I don't have time for this stuff, but it was Christmas Eve Eve, and it sounded like a like a Hallmark movie. And I'm like, yes, I'll stop by and get it. I honestly thought he was going to give me a gift certificate. I pull up in front of Sam's. He met me outside. And he had bought this family a trampoline, a 400-pound trampoline. <laughs> and there, there's no room in my tiny little car. for. I mean, it literally looks like a matchbox car. And so I decided, you know, it's Christmas Eve Eve. I'm like, you know what, let's just put the top down. We'll stick this thing in the passenger seat. Um, I, you know, you can't strap it in the seatbelt wasn't that big, but it, it just kind of wedged into the passenger seat. And I just thought, you know, whatever, windblown hair, well, just, it's fine. So I drove from Sam's to the doctor's office. I went into the office and there they told me I did have, um, BRCA2 and they handed me the number of an oncologist and told me I needed to sign up immediately for a series of surgeries that would help, um, me get ahead of what was coming for me. And I was trying to metabolize that really hard news. But it was Christmas Eve Eve, and I'm making a list and checking it twice. And I've got a church service that I'm going to lead that night. And I, I could hardly absorb what they were telling me and what that would mean for me for the next year. And I get out in the car, and all of a sudden it starts to rain. And my top is down on my car, right? And I had a velvet dress on, and velvet and rain are not a very good thing. And it's a stick shift. And every time I turned, the trampoline would, like, kind of roll over on me. And I'm, like, trying to I, – I had no free hands to call my husband. I had no ability to really process the news that I had just heard. And so um, I get to church, and I get up on that stage, and I tell them exactly what I just told you. I could see my family sitting in the pew – and I, heard, and I was saying to everyone, there is no story too dark. He won't go into it with us. Nothing. And I was, I was listening to him tell me the truth that I was trying to tell everyone else. I could hear him say to me, I'm with, I'll be with you this year. There's no place I won't go with you. I am the Prince of Peace. I will fill in the cracks. Whatever it is you're asking of me, 
I'm in agreement of it. I'll give you what you need. You need patience, comfort, encouragement, strength. You need some chutzpah. You need mercy. You, what do you need? I'll give it to you. And I certainly saw him be true to that testimony in 2018 as I faced that medical crisis. I saw God come for me and fill in my cracks. And we, we do, we cry out. We can cry out to him. He's never tired of hearing us. He's not like, oh my gosh, here she is talking to me about that same thing again. I don't want to deal with, I already told her what to do. I already gave her something last time. I'm not doing this again. He'll never, ever, that's a human response. He is nothing like us. He's supernatural. In fact, when God's kids were in captivity, when the nation of Israel was in captivity, so just take a minute to imagine what that must have been like. The prophet Jeremiah read to them this promise of God's. They were in a foreign land. I mean, imagine being prisonered in another country. God said to, to his family through Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, I'm going to give you my shalom. I'm going to fill in your cracks. Not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And while we're talking about Hebrew words and new rooms of understanding, that word for hope in Hebrew is the word tikva. And tikva has a big, long definition, but it literally just means rope. It's something you can hold on to. Hope is a rope. And God was telling his kids, I don't care that you're captive in another country. I know what's coming next. The story's not over yet. Hold on to my rope. Hold on to my hope. That's the promise that he has for us. So whether this season you're saying to him, throw me the rope, Lord, I need to hold on to your hope because I don't have enough of my own and I'm stuck in the chapter of a story I can't imagine how it's going to end and I don't like it and I can't control it. Or you're thinking to him, shalom, bring me to a place of wholeness because right now I feel broken. Or you're thinking to him, here I am, henini. Whatever it is you want to ask of me, the answer is yes. I'll do it, I'll say it, I'll give it, I'll go it, I'll do it. Get, like, call me. My hand's in the air. Whatever, whatever it is we're facing, and I, I'm listening to that promise myself. I don't know if any of you uh, have a prodigal in your family. I have, a, I have a burgeoning prodigal, and it scares the, me to death. And I'm telling the Lord, fill in my cracks. Give me what I need and throw me a rope. And he's going to answer that promise. Christmas, we make Christmas be like perfect play settings and perfectly tied bows and Hallmark movies and beautiful first snows and Christmas lights. Listen, the first Christmas, it was so dark and tension-filled and messy for Mary, utterly rejected, nine months pregnant, trying to remember the things her cousin Elizabeth told her in that first trimester, holding on. For Joseph, he's from the line of David. He's now in the city of David. He would have definitely had relatives in that city. Talk about rejection. They said, no, no room for you at our house. For the nation of Israel, it would have been really hard. They knew their prophecy and their promises. They knew that the King Herod wasn't really the king. They knew that the coming king was, they knew their Bibles. They knew it was coming. But they had hundreds of years of silence. They were like, Lord, is there a robe coming? And for us? For us, whether your challenges are the expectations of others or financial struggle or school struggle or work struggle or marriage struggle or prodigal struggle or whatever kind of struggle you got going on, here's what I know for sure. You've already read Isaiah 51.1 in your time in Isaiah. It says, look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. Remember that. 
Elizabeth and Mary are our spiritual cousins. We're cut from the same quarry that they're cut from. The spirit of God that moved in them lives in us. The time they spent with the, the unborn king, we can spend with him. And it'll give us hope. And you know what that means then? What our family sounds like? Our family sounds like, like we've got chutzpah. Like we've got hope. And so in this season, when you hold on to those things, you help, like, forgive people. Bless them. Encourage them. Give them your full attention. Let people know that you're safe. Behave in ways that demonstrate the supernatural nature that God has given you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for the promise that you have given us, the prophecy in Isaiah 9 about you, the Prince of Peace, who came and the government sat on your shoulders, and now there is peace without end. So on this Sunday morning, throw us a rope. Give us tikva. Fill in our cracks. Give us shalom. Hear our cry and respond. We love you, Jesus, and it is with the authority and power I have as a co-heir with you that I ask you release an anointing on this community in these coming weeks. And I pray these things in your holy and precious and resurrected name, Jesus. Amen.